Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... On this quick turnaround week between races, we have Tony Pedragon from NHRA on Fox and Kevin McKenna from National Dragster. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. We're telling the inside stories from Houston and looking forward to Charlotte, the four wide nationals this weekend. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Bruce Pedregon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here. A race week show, which is awesome. Right after the Houston National event, which was great, uh, we have two guests today, and and this is going to be a fairly uh, kind of quick, uh, just like our week here, <laughs> kind of a fairly quick entrance into our guests. And for the first time ever in this show, uh, we're going to have them on simultaneously. So uh, Kevin McCann, of course, you know him, you love him. He's a national dragster senior editor, and uh, Tony Pedregon, who works uh, hand in hand with me in the NHRA on Fox booth, and. You know, the idea here is to kind of look at and break down some of the storylines we saw in Houston and then, of course, take a quick look forward to Charlotte and to um, kind of see who needs to rebound and, and maybe who needs to just continue doing what they're doing. Um, big drag racing news this particular week as the Koretsky family uh, has purchased Maple Grove Raceway, for those of you that didn't hear it. It's probably been the biggest story in the sport um, this week and or maybe, you know, maybe second biggest. I don't know. It's been a big story. and It's a deal that you know, it took them months and months to get completed. There were over 20 different people that had some sort of ownership stake in Maple Grove and a couple of different families. And then within those families, people had shares. And and uh, so it took them months and months to kind of get a deal that was going to work for everybody together. And they got it executed. And, uh, you know, kind of a funny story, but uh, Kenny Koretsky was not in Houston with us, even though Kyle was there racing. He was at Maple Grove, like working the water box and uh, learning the different various jobs on the ground. So they're going to be hands on owners, uh, undoubtedly going to be great owners, and they will be uh, very impassioned about this product and or project rather. And uh, even in talking to Kyle, I had a chance to speak to him kind of on our, our travels back to our respective homes. Um, he talked about how they're, you know, lining up contractors and have, you know, stuff on the table planned to get done really immediately before we even get there in the fall. So I think that it is a, an exciting thing. Uh, of course, you know, we have the, you know, you have the downer news when, when tracks like Houston and stuff go away. But this was a great piece of positive news to have, you know, Maple Grove Raceway, one of the great uh, drag strips in the country bought by actual drag racers. And um, it couldn't be in better hands and, and really excited about that. Obviously, we know our winners from Houston, Steve Johnson and Pro Stock Motorcycle, Eric Anders in, in Pro Stock Car, and then we went to Matt Hagen and Brittany Forrest. So uh, we're going to have a lot of conversation and questions just kind of surrounding those four people when I get Kevin and, and Tony on here. Um, and, 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 you know, I think the, the runners up almost equally as compelling. You know, when we look at Camry Caruso and Erica Camry, the runner up there, an incredible story, making that final round, whole shot in Greg Anderson in the semis. We look at Bobby Bodie in the final round with Matt Hagen and beating Matt Hagen, and then the car explodes and, and Hagen gets around him. We look at Matt Smith racing Steve Johnson and Johnson uh, looking over and seeing Matt Smith on a completely different motorcycle than he had ridden the round before. He'd switched brands. He went to the, back to his V-twin bike because he'd hurt the Suzuki, um, gave him a, a game effort, but Johnson ultimately beat him. And then uh, Justin Ashley racing against Brittany Force and, and Brittany beating Justin on a whole shot. Um, 
So, you know, even the winners were intriguing, but the runners up also intriguing as to not only how they got to the final, but kind of how they came up a little bit short, whether it was by, you know, explosive measures or simply just lacking in horsepower. Um, It was really an incredible race across the board. The fans are out in four sellouts on Saturday and Sunday. Very strong crowd Friday, expecting to have a large number of people this weekend at ZMAX Dragway as the four wide nationals really do bring people out it's the circle k four wide nationals here in 2022 always great to have a uh, kind of title sponsor on these events and um, look forward to getting a z-max dragway it is uh, of course one of the finest uh, racing facilities in the country and it is just a top-notch place and we have great car counts all the pro categories are full we're going to talk a lot about what top fuel should look like this weekend and you know there's some really interesting stuff going on there as there has been all season long but Again, I don't want to get too far down the road. I think what I want to do is simply tell you that I got two guests coming on almost immediately here, and they will be Kevin McKenna, Tony Pedragon, and it is a raucous, wide-open discussion on all things NHRA, but concentrating on Houston moving in towards Charlotte. Without further ado, here comes the interview with both McKenna and Pedragon. All right, everybody, for the first time on the NHRA Insider Podcast, we have two guests on at once. This could end in complete and abject disaster, but I have a feeling it won't. I'm joined by both Tony Pedregon, NHRA on Fox analyst, and Kevin McKenna of National Dragster. How are you guys doing? Well, good, to be, good to be back on Indianapolis soil, Brian. <laughs> I, agree, I, I, agree, I agree with Tony on that because I only got back at 3 a.m. last night, so... Um, Definitely happy to be home for a couple of days. The wonders of uh, of a quick turn of life on the road. So, boys, uh, I want to begin this conversation by talking about Houston. Obviously, uh, it was I mean, to me one of the most entertaining races I can remember attending uh, as an NHRA guy, whether it was an event announcer or or in this role on on NHRA on Fox. But uh, Kevin, I'm going to start with you. What was the, the one thing when you left on on Sunday when you drove out of the racetrack? What was the one thing that was kind of hanging at the at the front of your mind? Uh, there wasn't one. I, I don't know if a, if a perfect race exists, but this was pretty darn close. Um, you know, if, if you put my feet to the fire and, and, and said one thing, I, I think obviously the, the biggest topic of the weekend was most likely the, the pro stock final, uh, the budding rivalry that seems to be going on between Erica and Camry Caruso. I think, you know, the pro stock class is already doing well, and, and I think that is just going to elevate it to a whole new level. I think you're right, and, and Tony, I want your same question to you. When you know when we went off the air on on Sunday afternoon, kind of what was the what was that one thing for you, if there is one thing? Well, there was, uh, of course. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with Kevin. It was it was Camry Crusoe getting to the final. I mean, it's no surprise to see Erica there. I mean, she still she still has the best car. She has the most consistent car. Um, you know, I'm really interested. I'm, I'm interested in what was said. You know, I, I'm just, you know, I talk to people in the pits and I hear things and, and I don't think that, I mean, I agree with you, Kevin, there is a rivalry there and I don't quite understand it. I just think that Camry, the addition of her to pro stock, I think it's such a good thing. And, and I understand, you know, the nature of competitors, but I, I just, um, I don't know. I guess I'd be curious to find out what the problem with that, that some of her opponents have, uh, in particular with her. I know that some drivers get a little mouthy. They get a little, you know, the the confrontational, but not her. I mean, that she's easy to read. She's got a great personality. Uh, you know, she's happy to be there. Uh, she's racing with her, you know, with her family. Her dad's on the starting line. I, I think it's such a great story, but the fact that she stepped up to the plate, that was probably the most impressive thing 
to me about the whole weekend because when she got to the semifinals, as you as we all know, it gets it gets much tougher, and the caliber of competition becomes a lot tougher, not just competitively, but the drivers do as well. And she pulled through. I mean, she did exactly what she had to do. Had she done what she had been doing over the first several races, it would have been no contest. But yeah. it didn't. It didn't play out that way. I thought that was great. Yeah, it was great. You know, you know, you know, you know Tony, I. Uh, I agree with you that that she's, you know, I, I think I got a chance to spend a little time with Camry and her family this weekend, and uh, she she is definitely paying her dues, and I think understands that learning the ropes. But uh, the girl is a little spunky. She she's got, uh, I think she has the mentality to ultimately last a long time in pro stock. I think there's gonna come a time where she's gonna return fire and not take any grief from anybody. Um, you're going to see a little bit of the New Yorker come out in her eventually once she gets a little more comfortable. Yeah, and listen, uh, I think I, what, what Tony was mentioning, Tony, before I let you go, is is for those of you that didn't see the race, and I'm sure all of you did that are listening, but uh, there was a moment uh, in the final qualifying session where uh, Camry, uh, I believe at the direction of the track official at the top end, came to a stop before making the turnout. Erica, carrying some speed, went to the inside of her, and it was a windy day in Houston. The parachutes blew across and caught the back of Camry's car, doing a, a fair amount of damage to it and stopping Erica kind of cold in her tracks. And when the cars got around the corner, you know, Erica leaned into to Camry's car and, and said you know whatever it was she said which did upset Camry there's no two ways around it I, we don't know what words were said but we do know that when we went down to do our our number one qualifier interview with her you know it was um it was interesting because she was having this incredible range of emotions right before her eyes she was she was upset by by what had transpired with Erica moments ago and she was obviously elated to be a number one qualifier so and and again to put a point on it once she got out of that interview her and Erica did talk there was some you know some smiles to whatever degree exchanged and, and off they went but Tony what were you going to say well I I think that um I think that people can only take getting pushed around so much so I think that's going to be great I think we've already seen that I think that what we saw was some confidence instilled in Camry I think that we'll see um, at the next race, I, I think when a driver cracks the code and figures it out, um, and mentally, in terms of the level of confidence, and and whether they did something with the linkage or the the, the clutch or whatever made it come together, it's it's. I think once the driver figures it out, um, I, I think it it's going to put her in a different uh, on a different level. And I, I'm curious to hear Kevin your your take on it. I'm sure you've seen it. My take was that. You know, Erica was carrying way too much speed to be driving onto the inside. You know, and it wasn't long ago that we saw a windy day that was one of the safety safari personnel that were swept off of her feet because the car was going a little too fast. The parachutes get blown to one side, and I think it knocked her out. If I'm not mistaken, it they had to they had to haul the the safety personnel off. So I, I just don't believe that a driver, whether it's because of the rivalry or because somebody took your number one spot or there's a new there's a new sheriff in town or if there was nothing to that if you were just carrying too much speed i thought it was wrong for erica to blame it on anything else other than the circumstances i know camry stopped um you should almost expect that from a driver that doesn't have a lot of experience but it was a windy day there was track personnel uh, not far from the race car uh, that's the way i saw it i i think erica was coming in coming in way too hot you know, I'm willing to probably give a little more leeway. I think you've got uh, uh, some of the turnoffs down there. You know, some of them are narrow. You have windy days. I'm actually surprised this sort of thing doesn't happen more often. 
uh, just with parachutes getting tangled. Uh, you know, the, I don't know. There, there's, um, you know, I've never driven a pro stock car, never will. So I, I know they're hard to see out of. Uh, you know, I, again, I think it was just one of those things that happens from time to time. You get caught up in the heat of the moment, and uh, at this point, it's probably over and done with. You know, we're, we're on the topic of Erica, so I kind of want to stay there in terms of now two races in a row uh, with victories. And, you know, was the, the Vegas race, I think, will be a signature moment in her career is the, you know, the, the so the quote unquote kind of called shot race. And well, well, none of that uh, overt prediction was made this weekend on social media. I know for a fact, I mean, just just because of her personal history at that racetrack, there was not a single person more motivated to win at Houston than her in the professional ranks this weekend. So, Kevin, in terms of uh, her kind of post-race comments, anything you heard her say, just uh, follow up on that for anybody that didn't hear it. No, I, I, I agree. You know, it's your hometown race. You grew up there. You raced a junior dragster there for the first time. You won your first national event in, in Supergas. Uh, the track is going away at some point. And uh, I, I don't know how anybody couldn't feel a little nostalgic and really the only thing you can do, you know, you can't save the place, but the only thing you can do is take away the last Wally. And I think that's probably one that, you know, when she looks at, you know, the, the 40 or so that she's got now and however many she finishes her career with, that one will, will probably be a one that stands front and center. And Tony, all, uh, you know, all top end controversies aside, I think we are seeing, we're definitely seeing a level of, of motivation, if not only out of her, out of that team to, to reclaim a championship this year. And so far, they, they are definitely the ones to beat. Look, the, the team is good. The car is good. It performs. But the driver, she pulls her weight. I mean, if you look at the, the second round, she was beat. I mean, if Hartford can get get off the line ahead of her or with her, he wins that race. But that just goes to show you, you got to have you got to have a combination of of three things, and and that's the driver and the driver ability. Sometimes the driver has to get in there and save the car. That's just what makes a good team up. So uh, good luck stopping her. Uh, I think that Greg has the car to do it, but he just seems to be a little frustrated. I think he's going to find it, but. At, at this, at the pace that these drivers are are getting off the line, um, and and because of the the parity in the class, um, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, there are a lot of good drivers. I know there are other things that factor into uh, the the pro stock uh, car success, but you know, when everybody's doing a good job, at least the top you know six, seven, eight drivers, it's pretty much going to come down to the driver. And right now, Erica seems to be the best. Yeah, she's definitely uh, she's definitely in the in that position right now. Now, pro stock cars will not be at uh, at Virginia. We will see them again when we go, I believe, to Epping, New Hampshire. They won't be in Charlotte or Virginia because we have the Mountain Motor cars there. So the pro stock category will be on a uh, kind of a month of May hiatus, and we'll get them back at Epping at the beginning of June. Uh, Nitro Funny Car. This was I'm going to Tony first here for obvious reasons, but. My God, I mean, what a day in Nitro Funny Car, and the Bobby Bodie story is is going to be one for the annals of uh, of the class's history. And you know, to me, it, it's that it's that very kind of typical drag racing story where you know Cinderella's rolling up to the rolling up to the ball, and all of a sudden the wheels literally come off the wagon. I mean, it, this this kid went through it all in one day. <laughs> you know, this could be such a different conversation too. We were maybe one cylinder away or, or two tire revolutions away <laughs> from talking about Bobby Bodie 
not just winning, <laughs> but smoking the TSR team and Matt Hagan and everybody else that's in his way. You know, I know he beat Cruz. That I mean, Cruz is a pretty tough opponent, and they got by him. I think I think they just got outrun. They probably underestimated Bodie, but they probably underestimated the track too. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to the track lastly, but you know, I think uh, I think the fact the fact that Hagen won is no big surprise, but I think what the bigger surprise was that a he was raising Bob Bodie, Bobby Bodie, and that Bodie was pulling away, regardless of the slight hole shot that that Matt Hagen had. Uh, he was five hundredths of a second quicker at three hundred feet. He was on his way to, um, you know, to 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 really doing a, something bigger and better than what his dad did in Brainerd years and years ago. And Kevin, I want to know what the reaction was in the press room. Uh, utter shock, I think. Uh, and, and you know, we, we had uh, obviously a view of the, the timing system, and you could see at half track that you know, as Tony alluded to, Bobby Bodie was ahead, and barring the sort of catastrophe that happened, uh, he was almost certain to, to win that race. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I agree. I think you know, may, maybe a couple of opponents underestimated the, the Bodie team, but you know, they, they were they were in the threes solidly, heat of the day. 399 to be Cruz. Uh, you know, th- that car lately has, has really stepped up uh, and, and Ben is, is almost as good as any in the class. It really is. And, you know, credit to where it's due and on, on all fronts there because he drove the car very well and obviously they gave him a, a horse that could win. Uh, Tony, what did you want to talk about regarding the race, the racetrack? Well, it was a big surprise to me that, you know, I w- we were talking about the heat. And this was the first hot track that we've seen. It was only 80 degrees, maybe 82 tops. And it was quite a surprise that that second qualifying session on Saturday saw the majority of the cars, 90% of the cars, boost traction. And and I think that's great. I think it's great for the tuners that have forgotten how to run, how to, to, to pick a different target instead of trying to run a 389 and plugging in a 393 or a 395. They'll figure it out. They figured it out by the third session. And, of course, most of the teams have had adjusted by the time. This first round was good. There was a little cloud cover, and then it burned off. Um, but it's just it's interesting, you know, when you're stuck in a booth and you really can't walk outside. Um, I have the tendency to think, oh, it's 90 degrees, and the track's 130. <laughs> No, it's going to get to that, but it really wasn't that bad. But I think that was the first time that we have seen that cars are having to make more adjustments in the clutch can with the timers, the clutch management system. And and the other little side note, uh, just to wrap up Funny Car, if we're going to, is the gesture of Tony Stewart. When when we saw what Bob, uh, what what Junior did after he lost the race, I um, I know the disappointment well. I remember it. I get it. I understand it. For anyone that 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 is critical of, of him throwing his gloves and even throwing his helmet, even though I think it might have been his dad's helmet, so he might be in trouble. It was his dad's helmet, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but for anyone that really that criticizes it, they may not have competed uh, in sports at a high level, uh, or they may have, but it's different for everyone. But, hey, I think if it's natural, then I'm all for it. And I, and I get the disappointment. He had to feel that that car – was running just as good as it had any other round. But the gesture from Tony Stewart, uh, to me, makes me feel a little different about Tony Stewart when he offers to buy the guy. I almost get a little emotional about it. When he offers to buy the guy a helmet, for crying out loud. And uh, I, I just think I just think that's great, that, that the fact that he did it, he saw it. 
he was almost on the receiving end of getting beat, but none of that really mattered. I, I think what Tony did was was pretty classy. I think it was too. And and Kevin, I mean, you know, the the of course in all these situations, the uh, the mouth breathers on the internet really get after it out there. And the, and you know, they were getting on the guy's case, and it's like this guy has never exploded a funny car before in that particular fashion or any fashion. Uh, he, you know, regardless of whether he knew he was winning until we told him or not, this thing, you know, he probably felt like he survived the you know the second coming when the thing blew up in his face. So you know, again, kind of going back to that um, that kind of inside the media room where, where people fixated on his. Reaction? Yeah. Well, explain to me how this is any different than a batter that throws a bat after a strikeout or a goalie that snaps his goal stick after giving up a bad goal. Uh, you know, as Tony said, you, you, you're doing this at a high level. Uh, there's a lot of emotion involved, and that's your first instinct. And I tend to agree with the Tony Stewart's of the world that you want that sort of passion. You need it. Uh, if he'd have just walked away and shrugged his shoulders, I, I'd I mean, I wouldn't think any less of him, but but th- this move, I think, is you know far more dynamic, and you know it, it, it takes a lot of effort, time, money, energy to come out here and do this. You have to have a passion for it. You have to want it, do it badly, and uh, obviously the Bodie team does. And and I'll give you one, one final word on Funny Car. I, I think we were in danger of, of this becoming kind of a three horse race with you know. Ron Caps, Robert Height, and Matt Hagen kind of running away with it. And, of course, Hagen still is with a couple wins. But uh, you look at what, you know, J.R. Todd going to the semis this weekend was big. And I think Chad Green is another guy that we would probably be talking about if not for the success of Bobby Bodie. Oh, absolutely. And Green had, you know, Green had a career day in his, in his funny car as well. And, you know, we talked about what we talked about it when he raced Bobby in the, in the semifinals is the fact that, um, you know, Green comes into that moment with more experience because he's won in his pro mod. So he's been, he's been in late rounds before where Bobby hadn't. And, you know, ultimately just, it, it was an, it was a performance issue for, uh, for Green where Bobby was able to outrun him. But yeah, it was fascinating all day long. And I think the last thing I'm going to say before we move on is, you know, if, if he had gotten out of the car car and shrugged as you mentioned kevin and walked away he would have gotten killed by people because they would have said this kid doesn't even care he just blew up his family's funny car he didn't even care and then when he does care you get the schmucks that are out there like it's unacceptable to throw your gloves and it's like give it give it a rest like legitimately give it a rest and uh i think the best thing to come out of this for bobby Bodie is he instantaneously grew himself a fan base i mean there are now exponentially more people that know he exists and know that that and that car and family exist and than probably did before and um i think it's great i hope i hope it does not sideline them for too long i hope that uh i don't know if they have a spare body laying around i know they can get one uh but i don't know if they have that laying around so they're gonna have to put in some work they were not pre-entered for charlotte anyway so it's not like right. you're going to lose a car there which is obviously a self-serving thing to say but in terms of what their racing plans are just letting everybody listening know they were not planning on being at charlotte anyway uh, i want to go to pro stock motorcycle now we talk about emotions we talk about people that have illustrated those emotions we saw a lot of it out of steve johnson at the end of last season we saw him you know on the verge of a, a literal nervous breakdown at, in charlotte when he had the issue there and, and we saw some you know what can only be described as maybe pre- related mistakes made down the stretch by him um this victory for him at the second race of the year wasn't just a win uh, kevin this was a convincing crush job of the field yeah it's it's astounding uh, you know we know this new suzuki for uh, four valve engine platform is good but to think that the, the rider who could best take advantage of it is steve johnson 
you know, and, and, and not, not nothing against Steve Johnson, but this is a small team with a small budget. You know, they, they still tow that thing with a pickup truck and a small trailer. Uh, they have mostly a volunteer crew, a couple guys that work full time. Uh, it, it, it's amazing to see now 35 or so years into his career that this is honestly probably the best shot he's going to have to deliver a championship. It is. And Tony, when we talk about kind of the, I mean, and they were, they were some rough ones to watch the mistakes that were made late in the season. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying it because of the fact that it is what it is. And we sat there and watched it. Do you think Johnson's the type of guy that can, that can relive those moments in the off season and, and learn from them and not make those mistakes again down the stretch? No, I think of all people, he's probably the one. And the best thing that'll come out of that win and that kind of performance is a guy like Steve can leverage he will leverage that success it'll help his sponsorship he'll go out he'll knock on some doors he'll shake some trees um because people and companies they like getting involved with winners and and i think i think it was a great thing i think that the conversation was it seemed to be about matt smith and karen stouffer and and i still i thought then and i still think that that eddie craywick is going to be in that mix but but now, like all of a sudden, Steve Johnson is back in the conversation, and I, I'm a I'm a believer. I'm a believer now that that this guy, if he can continue it, because we've seen flashes, yeah, and that's where it starts. When you see the flashes of brilliance, when they're able to string it together, that's when that's when you got to kind of look out for that guy. And I think what he did uh, this weekend was almost as impressive as what Karen did in, in Gainesville. Yeah, and Kevin, you know, to one of the things to to, to kind of double down on Tony's point. If we had not seen that insane performance in Gainesville, he would be leaving with the national record. He went six seventy one one. That is a national record prior to Gainesville. Yeah, absolutely. A pair of seventy ones, a seventy two. So he wasn't just fast; he was consistent. And obviously, you did not have the insane conditions here in Houston that you had, uh, you know, a few weeks ago in Gainesville. Uh, so, so yeah, that I, I'd be interesting to see. Uh, you know, I haven't really looked at the forecast for, for Charlotte this week or some of the upcoming races. If you get any kind of decent weather, is Steve Johnson a threat to, to even eclipse Karen's record that we, we thought might stand for a year or more? Um, and then the other thing I want to mention is uh, go back to Matt Smith. I'm not sure how many people would have even attempted oh, absolutely. to do what he, what he did, which is switch bikes. And, and I don't think people realize how difficult those bikes are to ride how different a Buell is from a Suzuki as far as your timing and your rhythm and your shifting and body position. And, you know, again, uh, you know, I expect nothing less from Matt Smith. He's Ricky's kid. So, you know, he's going to leave no stone unturned in an effort to win. But when I look down the roster of pro stock motorcycle riders, I don't see a whole lot of people who would have attempted uh, anything close to that. Well, listen, there's nobody else in the world that rolls around with one of each combination in the trailer either. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Although the Vance and Hines team has the potential to do that, you know, in their shop, they have last year's Buell, you know, and I suppose, you know, if if they had a similar emergency, you know, could Eddie have done something like that? Mm, Maybe, but I I just look at, you know, some of the riders that, you know, you think you, you need at least a handful of runs to get your timing down and Matt comes out in the final no tuning data that bike hasn't been fired since Pomona last year and he goes 681 at 200 and, and you know obviously he was not a match for Johnson but boy that that, that sure is you know probably far more than I would have given him credit for uh, prior to the final 
And I guess lastly, you know, if Stouffer doesn't doesn't have that run where she stubs her toe uh, effectively and, and comes across the racetrack, um, Tony, I mean, I don't know if I'm betting against her in a final round against Steve. And I, I think that's something that we're going to be – I mean, we could be – the math says, you know, if everything goes according to plan, which it never really does in this sport, but we could be looking at a final, you know, quartet of motorcycles that has, you know, Johnson in it, which, you know, ran under the existing national record prior to, prior to Gainesville. Then, it's you know, you look at that final four – on the on paper, it should be Angie, Matt, and it should be Karen and Steve. Yeah, and I think I think what Karen has done, what Jerry Savoie has done, and Tim, um, I, I think it really added a, a different dynamic to the pro stock motorcycle class. I think the fact that Steve is, you know, he's not giving up; he's uh, far from it, and and Matt is as resourceful as he is, and and you know, Vance and Hines is still out there, and. You know, and there's still Angel. There's some other riders that can mix it up. So I just think it's it's so good. It's so healthy for that class. Just like the addition of Camry and all the other things that are happening in pro stock, I, I think it's good because, as we all know, the spotlight the majority of the time it's on top fuel and funny car, and it's going to take a lot to change that. But um, in in each of those categories, I, I think it's great because over the years I've gotten to know, uh, you know, a lot of the pro stock crew chiefs the drivers and even in bike and you know of course when i was racing for all those years uh you know we would say hi and be pleasant to one another but there are a lot of hard-working people out there and it's great to see them have some success and get some of the attention tony let's transition to top fuel and i want to start on qualifying because you know we had that again we, we you and i have talked about it on this show for seasons now it's like if you have the cars the the, the if you have if you have the cars the, the stories tell themselves and so qualifying we had those great early pairings where we saw the last several positions of the field change multiple times yeah, I think uh, I think we're going to see that all year. I mean, you you better be in good shape and uh, emotionally sound to be able to deal with all this. <laughs> all what we're going to see in top fuel, and you know, I think that um, I think one of the most interesting first rounds had to be Leah and Sean Langdon. Oh yeah, and and the more I replay that in my mind, you know, I I think that um, I don't know if Leah got off the throttle, and that's a mistake. You have to have a good feel for the car, and you know it's just like any other type of race car. When you're squealing the tires in a in a go kart or in some kind of road car, and, and you think you're going fast because it sounds fast, you're really not. Well, in a top fuel car, top fuel funny car, dragster, um, when that thing's revving up, um, if you have a good feel for it, you can feel you you like the body has a G meter built into it, and and I think. I think if she could have eased off the throttle um, and and reduced the you know the tire slippage, I think she could have drove around it. And the fact that Sean's parachute came out, uh, come to find out, that may have helped the car not break the tires loose again. So I think he did a uh, he did a very good job. He did an excellent job of getting the car to recover. And you know, as as uh, serendipity may have it, I think the parachute coming out might have saved him. And the fact that. You know, Leah's car never really recovered. It was just kind of blazing the tires the rest of the way and until he got close to the finish line. Yeah, and she was pulling on him, to your point, Tony. If she had another 50 feet of racetrack, she might have caught him. But, yeah, maybe that uh, momentary, like, not, not not making the full lift and then slapping the throttle, maybe that was the, the difference maker there. Because if she had gotten any sort of bite at any point of the racetrack, she likely would have shot around the outside of him. You know, Kevin, when we look at um, Brittany now, two races in a row, two 
um, you know, really solid. And I'm talking really solid driving performances out of her. It, to me, that was always the not the missing link, but it was always the last piece of the puzzle they needed. And now I look at that car, and if they keep up what they're doing, nobody's beating them. I mean, if she keeps driving this way, and we know Grubby's going to get the thing down, it's it is it is frightening. It has to be for the other championship level cars. Yeah, I mean, Brittany has admitted uh, in the media center that that she is still a work in progress, but clearly she's reinvented herself. I mean, last year I think absolutely took the worst of it with I think it was eight whole shot losses. Yep, four in the countdown, which. You know that that right there is a championship killer, and I think at some point you 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 take a long hard look at things, and and you tell yourself I, I have to be better, I have to find a way, and clearly she's done that. Um, and and I think you know if you want to make a statement, if, if you sat down with a blank sheet of paper and said, all right, what can I do to show people that I'm back? Uh, you, you take you take down arguably the best starting line driver in the class on a whole shot in the final, and. Um, you know, she did just that. Uh, you know, 41 light is, is more than competitive. I think most drivers would sign up for that every day of the week. And, uh, yeah, no, she is absolutely going to be a handful the rest of the year. Tony, I feel like for her, in the specificity of what Kevin just said, in the fact that this was a whole shot win, this was – I don't know if this was maybe mentally for her like the, the final piece of the – the final piece she needed to just get that last bit of reinforcement. But, you know, from – do you did you have any stretches in your career or any even short race stretches where you felt like you were off the ball and you got back on it with a with a kind of a, a win or at least a, a signature round win that put you back and where you needed to be mentally? Yeah, that's that's always the case. I mean, that happens to everyone. Uh, you know, you get in these little rhythms, uh, and there's no question that the car is part of it. Uh, you know, they they constantly change the the compound and the the hardness of the the clutch discs, you know, in the fuel system, there's all these things that factor into it, but you know, still, it still falls on the driver's shoulders. And, uh, I think it's nothing short of a very impressive what Brittany has done, but now comes the hard part. And here comes the tricky part. I, I don't know if I want to be racing Justin Ashley at the next couple of races because he was, you know, talent is talent. And, and one of the things that I think, um, I think now Brittany has really stepped up and, and, uh, you know, she's, she's won a couple for the team and that's great. Um, but I think it's still going to be competitive. And I, I just have a feeling that, you know, Justin Ashley is one of the guys that I've, I've always felt that once they get consistency, cause we've already seen that car can run, it can run with anyone. And, and every time I, I just, I don't take them as a championship threat. I, I see this, this guy on the starting line. And when I see Mike Green, I think, what am I thinking about? That's Mike Green. These guys can win a championship. So I do believe that they can go the distance. Um, Steve isn't going anywhere. Um, it, you know, I think I think he's got the, the same ability, the same credentials, and just out of respect, he is going to be one of the guys that are going to be there in the end. But I do believe the other two drivers are going to be Brittany, and Justin and I still think I still think there's one guy that can that can enter that conversation and that's Doug Coletta. I know they're taking their lumps. Um, I still think that Alan Johnson he hasn't really found his his range of what that car wants and when it wants it. Um, they got outrun in the first round. I, I just I think when they they get on a roll, I, I think that we're going to be talking plenty about them too. 
and that's uh, one of the points I want to close out on um, before we move into talking a little bit about Charlotte are the two Coletta cars because we saw Langdon's car, you know, living in the low 70s. I think uh, as far as a, you know, runs strung together consistency level, that thing seems to definitely be moving forward. We saw Doug run the 69. So at what point do we at what point or what is our what is our visual cue that we understand that these guys have have finally gotten a handle on it Kevin is there one or is it simply going to be the first time somebody picks up a trophy uh, they, they are certain their best days are certainly ahead of them you you can see the signs of progress probably a little slower than they want but then you also have to go back to top fuel as a whole and it's ridiculous i don't know if we've ever seen anything like this where you know at this race Mike Salinas runs 372 and he's ninth. Uh, doesn't have lane choice, and, and you know, and low ET is only 369. So it's not like there was this parade of low 60s. Uh, that you know, right now Pro Stock, I don't even think has that sort of parity. Where you know, you you know, everybody says that oh, any car that qualifies can win. No, that that's really what you've got going on here, and uh, you know. You, you talk about some of the people, you know, Tony mentions three or four drivers that he thinks will be in it till the end. I, it wouldn't surprise me if there's seven or eight that when we get to the latter stages of the countdown, they have got their hands up saying, no, I'm, I'm in this too. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's absolutely accurate. I mean, it's, it's absolutely accurate. And, and to me, and we talked about this preseason, but it's like, we're already starting to see some glimpses of it, which is going to be this, this absolute need to perform, especially when we get to the hot weather races to keep yourself in this conversation to when we get to, you know, the U S nationals, you have a, you have a car that will be competitive going forward. And, you know, Tony, one question to you before we move on to Charlotte is, when do we start to see maybe some cracks form in some of these teams that may be underperforming to their own degree? Do we start to see do we start to see that in Norwalk? Do we start to see that maybe on the Western Swing? I mean, when do we start to see teams that should be somewhere they're not look around and go, what do we have to do to fix this? Or is there anything you can do to fix this? Well, I think we're still seeing some changes that are still in the early stages. Um you know, and Antron Brown is one of those that, you know, we saw what he did. And I mean, I just, every time he, he flashes, I think, okay, these guys are back. What took him so long? Where was Brian Karate? They must, they must tell him to get to the shop and, and figure it out. And he must have gone to the shop and figured it out. And, and then they kind of just fade away. I mean, they, they lost, uh, they smoked the tires in the first round. I think we're going to see more of Antron. You know, Josh Hart, they, they seem to have some issues. I, I just think, I think what is around the corner. And, and I think we had this last year. We had this in Funny Car. We, we've seen it a few times in the semifinals when a Funny Car will run a 390 and he'll beat a 391. And the, the next pair will run a 389 to a 390. We're, we're going to see this in top fuel, in, not in the semifinals. We're going to see it in the second round where every good car advances. And, and we're going to see a couple of good first-round matches like that. But we're going to see... In the second round, I think this, I think, will be the best thing. Hopefully, it'll be for the network shows, maybe at Bristol. And um, and I think that'll be that'll be so exciting for our sport. And and my only my only advice to the drivers is be ready for an interview, man. And bring it. Bring us some new. Don't keep saying the same stuff every network TV for crying out loud. Get some good material. Give us the real thing. Don't kiss butts. Be yourself. And be ready because I think it could be a great moment for the sport because of the exposure we're going to have on the show and because of the quality and the caliber of racing that we have. 
So now let's talk about Charlotte. Uh, you know, when we look at this this Charlotte grouping, obviously I mentioned pro stock not there, so we're going to be concentrating on three categories. Um, you know, when we talk about pro stock motorcycles in this four wide format, Kevin, you're most familiar with the class than anybody. Who do you look at as being somebody that, um, if not thrives, is very solid in the four wide format? Well, I, I think you just described Matt Smith to a T. Um, you know, again, he, he's a guy who's going to capitalize on any sort of variable like the four wide. Uh, it'll be interesting to see which bike he brings, you know, it, with his Suzuki being, uh, you know, potentially hurt. Uh, he, he might well just stay on the Buell that won the championship last year, which I think if you give him a few runs to tune it, makes him a, a threat, you know, even as dominant as, as the Karen Stouffer and Steve Johnson Suzuki's have been. Um, so obviously I like match chances. I, I think Angie has a huge chip on her shoulder after yeah. her bike, uh, you know, had a transmission issue. Uh, that's, you know, that's pretty galling. And, and I think when that happens, uh, you need to, and you want to get back on the bike as quickly as possible. Um, so I like the two Smith bikes and, and you know, and if you want a dark horse, it kind of flew under the radar, but look at what Jimmy Underdahl did yeah. last week, made some of the quickest runs of his career. And he is, you know, throughout the class, he is known as a vastly underrated rider that, that he's really good, but has yet to have much like Joey Gladstone yeah. has never had the equipment to show his talents and um i think i think you're gonna see uh uh you're probably gonna see him uh work his way up to points this year and tony we go to funny car and this kind of same topic i mean we saw ron caps do what he did out there in vegas and and really you know to me the vegas race didn't have any of the sort of surprises we saw in houston i don't know how it could have but it it did not carry much of those in the way of surprises um are there any surprises lurking in the funny car category, do you think, in Charlotte? Or will it be those those kind of top-tier three, four cars, uh, you know, working their way to the end with that, without that kind of oddball fourth car out there? Well, I think that they're going to have some company. Um, and I think the, the two most likely candidates are going to be Wilkerson and Tasca. Um, it doesn't seem – J.R. Todd made it to the semifinals, but they kind of they backed into the – into that semifinal spot. I mean, they, they didn't run that great. Uh, they were just, you know, there, which is great. Occasionally you'll sneak by, um, but, you know, Tasca beat himself in the first round. Uh, I think, I think they're, they're better than what they've shown, um, early. And I think Tim Wilkerson, you know, for him, it's all or nothing. And I think when you put him on a good track, like Charlotte, it's so smooth and so flat. Um, I think that, I'm not going to call it a new way of thinking, but I, I just like the approach. I think he realizes that for him to compete with, you know, with the top three that we're talking about and to compete with Cruz, um, I, I think he's just got to get more aggressive and, you know, thinking it's one thing, um, but, but he knows how to do it and he's already proven it. I think he can run as quick as, as Robert, as anyone else. And I think those are, those are probably the guys that we're going to see, uh, create a little a bit of a headache for the for the other three, the top three or four right now. And you've you've brought me perfectly into the last point I want to make here for Top Fuel. We have 18 cars on the qualifying, uh, you know, on the entry sheet, I should say. And one of those cars is the Pat Dakin machine driven by Spencer Massey. And, you know, Massey's this guy that, that floats in and out. He drives Dakin's car when Dakin wants to show up. And as far as somebody that can cause disruption, we saw him do it in Bristol. Unfortunately, it seems to it seems to end more often than not in flaming carnage for the guy. But if they can keep that motor together, 
If they can keep the motor together, Kevin, this is somebody that can really kind of uh, be the fly in the ointment for several of these drivers at a four-wide race. Absolutely. And, uh, again, you know, prior to Houston, we've had 10 different finalists in the first four races. So, uh, you know, that could almost apply to anyone. Um, you know, another guy that, that I look and I, and I think, you know, Josh Hart has not shown uh, the same sort of performance that he had last year. And a guy that I really look at and I'm just surprised he hasn't done more uh, is Austin Brock. You know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, a car that's obviously similar to Britney's and, you know, it goes three sixties when conditions are right. He's as good a driver as there is in the class. Uh, I think all that he suffered from this year is, is a little bad luck, wrong place, wrong time. Uh, there's zero doubt in my mind that car is not going to win some races before the summer. And, Tony, we also have to maybe put Cameron Ferre in this Spencer Massey category because Ferre is back in the Peyton family car. He's been driving Terry Haddock's car the last couple of races. But, remember, it was the Peyton family car that he drove the last couple of races last year, and they were reeling off 70s, and for the first time in his life, he was actually going some rounds. Yeah, and because he's in a different car, I think that's why – that's likely one of the qualifiers there. And, you know, of course, there's there's going to be four shots at it, so that'll give them an extra cushion. And, you know, if I'm entering this race, I mean, you think about Krista, um, Krista Baldwin, and, I mean, Kyle Wurzel, I think that car's just been gone through by uh, by the Capco, by Lagana. So, like, wow, it's not going to be easy to qualify for this show, so it'll be interesting, uh, you know, to watch the drama unfold. But I agree. I think the last time we saw Cameron, he was running I, the 373, I think, is the quickest that I re- recall that car running. So um, I think it's going to be great. And, you know, of course, if one of the bigger teams slip up, there's uh, there's going to be a smaller independent team that would be more than happy to, to fill round out the field. Absolutely. And this is a forward-looking final question for Kevin. You know, we, we see now consistently in top fuel, 18, 19 cars showing up. What do you think we're going to have at Indy? I think we're all making our guesses here, and and I, this isn't a hard number. I just want your gut feeling. If you know, if we're seeing if we're seeing eighteen, nineteen car fields at the majority of our races, what do you think the U.S. Nationals looks like? Uh, I, I would hopefully it becomes the India of old, where every competitive car in the country makes the trip there, which would put you in about the you know twenty five, twenty six range potentially. Um, you know, I think a lot of the part timers. You know, you've even got a couple guys local. You know, there's maybe four or five top fuel cars sitting right here in Brownsburg that don't race much that certainly, you know, should or, or could come out for, uh, for Indy and, uh, n- not to, not to go back, but, but the one other thing I wanted to, uh, mention about top fuel in Charlotte is with 18 cars, four qualifying sessions, and hopefully some decent weather. Do we see the record bump get eclipsed? I was just going to bring that up. The record bump of all time in top fuel is 377. And I we've we've actually gotten closer to it than it may seem a couple times this year. Meaning that, like once you got past like the number fifteenth qualifier, you we were in the mid seventies. So you know your bump spot is obviously only as good as your slowest car. But when I look at the eighteen that are on the list for Charlotte, I look at a weather forecast that's going to be cool, that's going to provide uh, some some uh, cloud cover, and I look at the fact that we are qualifying on Friday night, and they got two shots on Friday. Nothing in this sport's a foregone conclusion, but damn, I think we're going to get close. Agreed. Well, Tony and Kevin, thank you so much for taking some time here and getting ourselves set up on this quick turnaround between Houston and Charlotte. I'm glad that we are back-to-back because going three weeks between races uh, sucks a lot. And so, thankfully, once we get done with Charlotte, it's only a one weekend (laughs) off and getting back to Virginia. So, Tony, thanks very much, man. 
We'll see you guys soon. Thanks for having us. Kevin, thank you, man. Uh, happy to do it. We should do this more often. Well, I mean, we'll let the audience decide that. Fair enough. <laughs> Really fun conversation with both of those guys. They certainly have their kind of fingers on the pulse of what's going on with NHRA drag racing and uh, certainly have a great way of articulating their opinions and kind of insider information as well. We will be at the ZMAX Dragway for wide nationals this weekend. Of course, that is uh, brought to us by Circle K, the title sponsor of the event. If you're not going to be there with us, you can watch us on FS1 all weekend long, Friday night qualifying. You may want to watch that specifically because... uh, It looks as though the planets are aligning to give us some great weather and the quality of cars we have there. As these guys mentioned, we have a chance at uh, perhaps resetting the quickest top fuel field or quickest top fuel bump of all time. By nature, that would be the quickest field in history. So keep your eyes peeled on that. Going to be great action all weekend long between our Friday qualifying show, then our Sunday morning uh, final qualifying show, and then eliminations show on Sunday evening. You can go to NHRA.com to get tickets or check the broadcast schedule. And don't forget, we have a race in Virginia coming up in just a couple of weeks, and we'll be in Epping, New Hampshire the first weekend of June. Get your tickets for both of those races at NHRA.com. I'll be back next week to recap what happened in Charlotte, talk to some of our racers, and keep you up to speed on everything in the world of NHRA drag racing. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening to The Insider.